Donald Trump is never talking to black people or to Muslims or to Latinos slash the Hispanics. He's talking to white people about us. And it is so clear in every word that he says that we are not actually American. Hey, welcome to In the Thick. This is a podcast about politics and race and the race to the White House. I'm your host, Maria Hinojosa. Joining me here in the studio is Jamila Lemieux. She's vice president of news and men's programming for Interactive One and the former senior editor at Ebony Magazine. Hey, welcome, Jamila. Thank you for having me. First time. Thanks so much. Joining us from Washington, D.C. is Wajahat Ali. He's attorney, playwright, and the host of HuffPost's Debate Night with Waj. Hey, Waj, it's been too long. Welcome back to the show. Hola. <laughs> Hola. Assalamu alaikum. And joining us from Boston is Julio Ricardo Varela. He's the political editor at the Futuro Media Group. Hey, Julio. Hey, Maria. So before we get to the debate, though, before we get to that first moment, it's like we have to go to the pre-debate. So Trump called a, um, I, I guess you could call it a press conference with four women, three of whom have accused Bill Clinton of sexual assault. So... Julio, did you see the press, co- the whatever we're going to call it? Yeah, I saw it. I saw it. It was on Facebook Live. And basically what happened at the start was Trump just said, OK, here we are. We're going to start the debate in an hour. And before we do that, I have these victims of, of the Clintons and they're going to read a statement. And let me just phrase this. I am not going to frame this and diminish anyone's experience and what they what they allege or what's happened. But basically, it was every one of them said, I'm going to support Donald Trump. And they weren't really talking about what they said happened to them with Bill Clinton. So it became sort of like this awkward, bizarre endorsement of Trump. Yeah, I know. I just wrote down victim props, Hmm. which is weird. Hmm. Victim props. Waj. Jump in. Like, what are we watching? Like, it's like this grotesque theater of the absurd. And again, to what Julio said, you don't want to take away at all uh, the narratives and what could have happened, of course. But I don't think Donald Trump could, you know, cared about these women. He's like, here's a prop. Like you said, it was excellent, excellent terminology, victim props. And let me bash. She went after me uh, because a video leaked. And I'm going to get you back. Instead of apologizing, I'm going to go tit for tat. And that's exactly what he did. And this is the presidential debate. Jamila, it's just, it, yeah, it's like we want to laugh because otherwise we're going to start crying. But actually, this stuff is so grim, just surreal. You Mm. know, I Mm. and it's interesting. It was a tit for tat moment, but the Clinton campaign did not release that video. Right. So what we learned about that conversation between Donald Trump and Billy Bush in 2005 did not come from Hillary Clinton, as far as we know. So that the idea that he needed to lash out at his opponent who had remained quiet I mean, of course, we knew that she was going to address what had happened very pointedly during the debate, and she did. But I'm just looking for the logic, right? Because that's what men say that they do best. They do logic and women do feelings. So I'm looking for the logic, okay, (laughs) behind. I have been caught on a microphone saying that I sexually assault women, that I harass women. And we've already heard me demeaning women, right? Before a hot mic. I've said that on Twitter. I've done that quite publicly in recent years. Somehow, I need to prove to the world that I am not that person. And so I am telling people that they should not believe me, Donald Trump, in my own words, saying I do these things to women. But I am also asking people to believe the accounts of women talking about things that did not happen on camera. 
So don't believe what you hear. Locker room talk, Jamila. Locker room talk. It's just locker room talk. This is the debates America deserved, but not the one that we needed. That's that's what I say, to quote the Dark Knight. It's, uh, you know, I honestly think it's an indictment of America. We should be ashamed because this is what you get when a reality TV show with an absurd, grotesque, amazing history of misogyny is given a national platform to sniff, bloviate, and bully. And it's very telling what Trump said at the end. He said, what do you respect of Hillary Clinton? He said, like a typical bully, a schoolyard bully, he says, I respect that she's a fighter, right? So that's what he respects, the fact that he can hit her below the belt and she won't buckle. I think it really reflects a sick disease of uh, what's afflicting America right now, toxic masculinity, uh, toxic bullying, uh, devoid of substance, devoid of intellectualism, and somehow this type of infotainment caricature personality is what a part of America thrives on. And we love it, right? We watch it, we read it in the papers, and now this is a living manifestation in the flesh as a Republican presidential candidate. There was a big deal to be made of all these questions that were submitted on the internet that you know America was going to ask these questions and it was going to be a a policy and issues. These weren't town hall questions. This was like, let's watch, you know, let's watch Trump v. Clinton go after each other. I mean, it was just the first half hour of this was just painful. It was painful to watch and listen to. And I said to myself, what about all these people who are there on stage? They, you know, you want to talk about victim props. I mean, those were audience props as well. There wasn't anything substantial about that until we really got to, you know, until... Some of the questions started showing, which we're going to discuss. That was the first half hour was just was just was just shameful. As people of color, I, I think everyone um, in this conversation can say that someone at some at some point in their lives told them that we had to work twice as hard and be twice as good to achieve half as much as <laughs> our white peers. Right. And it's amazing to see that the success of Barack Obama and the rise of Hillary Clinton has not challenged white men to be twice as good or even as good as they once were. The standards are getting lower. Just be less crappy. The idea that this was the person that you were going to put against the, arguably the most qualified candidate in the history of the American presidency because of the actual public office that she has held her status as a former first lady aside, that this is the guy that you want to put against Hillary Clinton. And yet, this is not an easy-to-call race. This is what I fear. Will those women that had no problems with the less overt sexism prior to the the release of the tape with Billy Bush, will they say, as we've heard many women say over the course of history, well, I'm not like those girls. Those Mm. women knew what they were getting into when they were dealing with Donald Trump. He's not talking about me. So I I do worry. Will you think back to when you were working at Hobby Lobby or Subway and your manager or at Goldman Sachs and and your your, your direct boss groped you or harassed you or made you feel uncomfortable? Or will you simply say, hey, I'm not like those women? There were so many uncomfortable moments in this debate. The other uncomfortable moment um, for me was, of course, when the Muslim woman asked her question, really trying to understand. And all of a sudden, the question now is like, was Donald Trump's answer actually laden with Islamophobia? Donald Trump had multiple opportunities last night to 
try to give an olive branch to African-Americans or blacks or both, whatever he wants, uh, to women multiple times. He couldn't do it. Still said it was just locker room talk. And then he had a great opportunity. Young American Muslim woman straight up asks him about Islamophobia. And Donald Trump, as we all know, his campaign has been the, the, the pouring gasoline on Islamophobia deliberately to garner votes and money. And what does he say? He goes, Islamophobia is a shame. I agree. But and then he pivots and he talks about how Muslims apparently don't report crimes. Whether we like it or not, there is a problem. And we have to be sure that Muslims come in and report when they see something going on. When they see hatred going on, they have to report it. As an example, in San Bernardino, many people saw the bombs all over the apartment of the two people that killed 14 and wounded many, many people. Muslims have to report the problems when they see them. Another fake fictitious, damaging uh, nonsense claim that apparently Muslims knew about the San Bernardino attack and didn't say anything. And, and he couldn't help but double down again on his Islamophobia, which has, let's be honest, fueled his campaign, gotten him votes, gotten him money and gotten him support. And Democrats also do it, right? Bill Clinton, like when talking about Muslim Americans, it's always under this paralyzing uh, rubric of national security. If you're a Muslim and you love America and freedom and you hate terror, Stay here and help us win and make the future together. We want you. Our 1,400 years of civilization, our 500 years of an American Muslim experience, uh, our only utility and value uh, to America is whether or not we're helping national security. That's it. So Bill Clinton at the DNC also says, if you love America and you, and you love freedom and you want to help us fight terror and you want to stay here, then we want you. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's that's like five ands. I'm confused by the third and enough's enough. You know, uh, I'm an American Muslim and I deserve better than this election by virtue of being an American. And what I want to mention is this. I'm not really afraid of Trump. I'm afraid of the afterbirth of Trump. I'm afraid of after November 8th, there will be a candidate who is a little bit younger, a little bit more polished, a little bit nicer to the women, a little bit nicer to the gays, who speaks m multiple languages. And he's the guy who is an echo chamber of all of this toxicity because he or she says, whoa, Donald Trump gave me a mm -hmm. template that mm -hmm. works. Right. Since this race is so close, maybe if I do a more slicked, polished version of it, I'll win. Yeah, you know, one of the things about Trump, which was really, really, that I found utterly fascinating last night or, and sad, was that every time he pivoted, it wasn't about Mexico, it wasn't even about Muslims, it was about ISIS. So every opportunity he had, right, when he talked about locker room talk, ISIS. This is locker room talk, you know, when we have a world where you have ISIS chopping off heads, where you have... Wow, ISIS is responsible for the leak of the video? This is amazing. That was incredible. That, that pivot, Jamila, as a woman, I was like, what just happened here? It, it just, and I, I had been so impressed earlier in the debate with how the moderators had been keeping him accountable. And, you know, when Anderson Cooper asked him directly, what you describe with sexual assault? Do you understand that? I lost count about how many times ISIS was mentioned. So many times. I lost you know, count. But just that particular, the, the way that, I mean, it's, it's he spent less than 20 seconds answering the question and got straight to Benghazi and ISIS and Obama and you. And, you know, it was just absolutely ridiculous. It, it's in the same way that he talked about African-Americans and he talks about Hispanic slash Latinos that we are a problem to be solved. 
and that and ultimately there were not mm. real Americans, whether right. you were born here, or immigrated here or not, that we are not actual mm-hmm. Americans. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump is never talking to black people or to Muslims or to Latinos slash the Hispanics. He's talking to white people about us. And it is so clear in every word that he says that we are not actually American. You have to always prove your loyalty. We're not real Americans. We're traitors. Not to be trusted. We're not to be trusted. As uncomfortable as this all is, you know, you talk about trickle down, but the truth is, is that as journalists of color, we are on a show that talks to journalists of color because how often, all the time, are there no journalists of color involved in the conversation? And so what is going on that our counterparts as journalists? And there's there are things that they don't know to say because of their own experiences. And it's unfortunate. And we are tasked with understanding how white folks operate and think. Right. And there's this assumption that if you are a white professional journalist that you should have or you naturally have some sort of expertise or some sort of ability to talk about issues that impact people of color. Or if you're a white, cisgendered, heterosexual male, that you are are able about you are able to talk about issues impacting women and people of other gender expressions and sexual identities. So it's just it's so unfortunate that we're so often not in the room at all. And again, there were definitely And this happened in the last debate, too. And to be fair, Lester Holt was the moderator. The only conversation about the African-Americans is the inner city. Right. And it's crime. And that's it. And there's nothing else harming us. The question that came about, like, how will you bring people together became, you know, Trump's initial initial response was, well, you know, I'm going to help the inner city because that's the inner cities, because that's where the black and African-Americans are. That's where the Latinos, Hispanics are. I'm going to help the Latinos, Hispanics. Questions about race. And this country and Black Lives Matter. And this was happening in St. Louis, of all places, that, again, Trump has been able to compartmentalize the, the, the issue of inner cities represents everything white America is afraid about people of color. And I'm going to fix it and I'm going to put it in a place that's going to make white America comfortable and, and not fearful of, of the change. And what what was really, really like what doesn't surprise me is that someone like Anderson Cooper and Martha Raddus, both both respected journalists, it's, it's you're exactly right, Jamila. They didn't even know how to challenge that. But that's because they weren't, I mean, frankly, the Presidential Debate yeah. Commission, they are making the decision to not have the diversity yeah. on the panels asking the questions that would have said, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's actually um, give you the fact, yeah. Mr. Donald Trump, according to PolitiFact, mm-hmm. that from 1995 to 2014, violent crime in cities was actually cut in half. Yeah. Right. Can we just stop and, and can we just call you on that? I think it's something more insidious. It's that we're not trusted to be the protagonist of our own narrative, people of color in this country. Boom. It's always seen that yeah, we're boom. subjective. Mm-hmm. We're highly emotional. We can be objective. We can be professional. And as all of us here sitting, I can assume that we have a PhD in whiteness because we've been studying it, fascinated with it our entire <laughs> life. You know the double standard. Whereas if someone's a white yeah. person, that person is automatically seen to be a neutral observer who will not be uh, too passionate. They'll be dispassionate. They'll be cool. And they are the intermediary uh, for our stories for the mainstream. Because if we were to talk about it, we'd get too emotional and passionate, be biased and tainted. So that's why right. you need the intermediary yogurtness of Anderson Cooper to be the type of guy mm-hmm. who can bring the 
forward. But like you mentioned, Anderson Cooper, I'm sure despite best intentions, does not know about our lived experience and about our personalities and our emotions and our communities. So when Donald Trump says these things, you have to say, well, so like, when was the last time that you were like, you know, chilling in the inner city? When was the last time you were in this inner city? And also like, you should have some information about where African-Americans in this country live. You should be raising the issues that are going on. I mean, we just had this devastating weather come through the South that hit Charleston, of all places. You know, that was an opportunity to talk about places where African-Americans are struggling economically that are not in the quote-unquote inner city. This is something I also want to take Secretary Clinton to task for, because that when that was an opportunity for her to talk about the Central Park Five. Right. And unless it came up in the 30 seconds that I went to my kitchen to get a beverage, I was pretty surprised that considering that Trump has doubled down on those mm. comments in recent days and that the only reason he hasn't heard there there hasn't been more said about that is the release of the XX Hollywood tape. Prior to him saying anything about it, I've been waiting for Secretary Clinton to make that a bigger issue. And for her, it doesn't it shouldn't be Mike. It shouldn't be you know, NPR, she should be the one amplifying the fact that this person took out a full page ad in the New York Times calling for the death penalty for young black and brown men who were not guilty and has never apologized and how these boys lives were impacted, ruined, devastated for decades because of being falsely accused of a crime that someone else confessed to. And he still has not apologized. Great news. In the Thick is still on the front page of iTunes under Election 2016. And this week, we're also ranked in the top podcasts under News and Politics. This is all because we're growing as a show, but also because of our listener engagement. Your contributions truly make a difference and help us continue providing a diverse and authentic voice not heard anywhere else. So if you can, I hope you will go to inthethick.org and click on the Donate button. Hey, and one more favor, if you go to iTunes and rate and review In The Thick, it really helps new listeners find us. Hey, welcome back to In The Thick. I'm your host, Maria Hinojosa, and with me this week is Jamila Lemieux. She's vice president of news and men's programming for Interactive One. Wajahat Ali is an attorney, a playwright, and a commentator. And Julio Ricardo Varela is our political editor at the Futuro Media Group. Let's get back to our conversation. What's really scary, I'm not even sure how I can say this, the fact that he just talks over the truth, right? Central Park Five, you know, any of his lies that are now just, he just says, no, didn't happen. I always endorsed the, I never endorsed the war, these things. And that, again, it's like, it's like listening to a dictator talk. He's going to put Clinton in jail. And he lied in real time. He's going to put Clinton in jail. And we must get to that. But one other lie that did not get fact-checked on the spot, and I was shocked, the tweet about the former Miss Universe. And Anderson said, you tweeted. So he, he said, between the hours of 3 and 5 a.m., you get on Twitter, speaking of you you know, having the temperament to handle this job, and you say these things, including, go check for the sex tape. I didn't say that. The tweet's still, it's still up. It's still there. It's still there. Yeah. But what does that mean, though? What does that mean that somehow, again, I know that it's been asked 
it's been asked and answered. But again, I guess for me, it's I'm just like... It's the double it, standards, the, the low standards that are applied to these types of white men. It's the fact that our, our journalism is such a decrepit state that if you actually do your job and do fact check and are aggressive, you're seen as being too, quote unquote, partisan. Can you imagine if any one of us, God forbid, had tweeted what Trump had tweeted and we were running for presidential candidates, they would grill the crap out of it. Like, we'd be skewered. Like, I'd be a kebab right now. I don't think I'd even have any flesh. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, you know, and, and, yeah. then, and then say, hands off. Man, you're too bi- you're too partisan, and like that's not my Lester Holt. It's not my job to fact check. No, you're journalists. You we, you know you have a privileged position to be an ambassador for America to sit there and literally like fire away at these two people who will, at the end of the day, despite being commanders in chief, will be servants of the people. And when a person like Trump repeatedly lies, when a person like Trump has an insane like open track record of misogyny, uh, admits not paying his taxes, right, mocks Mike. Pence, doesn't know anything about Syria. You know, you, you ask him once and twice, what's your policy? What's your policy? He gives you nothing. He keeps pivoting. Grill him, you know, attack him, zero in, hone in. That's your job. And the fact that these guys couldn't do it and wouldn't do it. I, I hate saying this because I respect uh, Lester Holt. Martha Raddatz was really good in the 2012 elections uh, debate. And Anderson Cooper is really strong. But the fact that they were also bullied and bowled over by Trump, it just seems that he's the dominating bullying presence and that these journalists were just pawns. Like, just you know, he just walked over them. Right. But he but he comes off as a as a victim, too, which also was fascinating. Right. He came off at the victim and he said Wines. it was three right, against he's one. Like, oh, you're not going to you let her interrupt. But you, okay. Which, Everyone's doing Donald Trump impersonations right now, which is really (laughs) interesting. But I will say one of the questions that was was presented that was actually being promoted by the the Latino community came from Sophie Cruz. Uh, You remember the the little six-year-old girl that approached the Pope last year, Maria, who who, kind of said, well, she submitted a question to each of the candidates saying, will you deport my parents? That question was in the top 10. Of all the open questions that that were going to be there were going to be used by Raditz and Cooper at this town hall, but someone made the decision. This was not a town hall debate, so we're going to let Trump and Clinton go after each other. And who loses? Who loses? The American people. There were some very excellent questions mm-hmm. around that 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 site, and I just think that that is on the moderators. I'm sorry, and if yeah. people are, are are giving Martha and Anderson the credit to be like. Oh, you know, it's a really tough job handling these two candidates. Really tough, you know, because it's intense and because of the news cycle. Then you need to plow through and you need to be like, no, this is a town hall. We need to get back to the focus here. Let's move on to our closing segment. This is Noam's Family List. And since we've been featured on the front page of iTunes uh, for the past couple of weeks, we've gotten tons of new listeners. So, right. So for all of our new listeners, this is a segment um, where we ask guests to choose from a list of possible options. And this is a list that our producer, Noam, just happened to brainstorm over dinner with his family one day. So these are the choices that you can choose from. Fantasy CNN. What's Missing. Tough questions, what we've got wrong, and we got this from Twitter, La Chancla, and this is where you pick something, well, actually a chancla, which is a flip-flop, a plastic flip-flop, and you throw it at a thing that has messed up this week. Who deserves to get La Chancla? So, um, Jamila, you want to start? Okay, I'm going to go with La Chancla. 
Okay. Yay! And I am going to throw that at everyone responsible for deciding upon the questions that would be asked at the town hall. You just stole my chunkla oh, no. moment. <laughs> but great minds think alike. So my chunkla moment, I was also, what I wrote down was I'm throwing the chunkla at the Presidential Debate Commission for not including us, for the questions that were chosen. So I agree with you, Jamila. Two La Chanclas for the Presidential Debate Commission. Julio, what do you want to do? Another La Chancla for me. Who in Trump's campaign advised to Trump that when you're describing the fastest growing group of, of, you know, of people in this country, and that would be Latinos, who told him that, you know, let's put every label on them. Let's call them like the Latinos Hispanics. He kept saying it. He said it a couple of times. You know, this whole Alicia Machado thing and what happened with that Mexican thing with Pence. And now now they're like, we really need to placate the Latinos Hispanics. So let's let's make sure we don't offend anyone. So let's use every label and and show our ignorance. And it's just clearly indicative of how this campaign just does not understand this this community, how diverse it is. And there's no wonder that, you know, I am not surprised at all that the latest poll numbers about Donald Trump and Latinos, Hispanics, he, he he's barely going to get 11, 12 percent. I mean, he's going to be the worst candidate to get the Latino vote since Bob Dole. So it came ever. down from 17 percent last week. I've seen 11, 12, 13 percent, Maria. It's going down. All the Latinos, Hispanics out there are done with them. Wash? I'm impressed that 12% of Latinos will actually vote for him. That's, I thought it would be in the single digits. So I'm going to do two Lachanklas. In Urdu, we use chapal, which is you, your mom takes off the chapal and throws it at you. So Lachankla is a, is a new little word in my arsenal. The chapels I'm going to use is first and foremost against the Republican establishment, because if you are truly appalled by uh, the uh, the disclosure of the Access Hollywood video where Donald J. Trump, your Republican presidential candidate, openly brags about groping women and sexually harassing them, your condemnation means nothing uh, without you stepping away and not endorsing him. You know, for the sake of your party, for the sake of your conscience, for the sake of the American people, step up and do the right thing. Choose the country over your party and just don't be appalled, but step away. The second chuckle, and this might be a little bit controversial, is that I'll use a chuckle on myself. Yes, there are these alt-right white frat boy types, the Ku Klux Klan, the white supremacists, the anti-immigrants who are supporting Trump. But there's also a large swath uh, of middle-class white America who feel that the system has failed them, that the elites and liberals mock them, that this privilege we talk about, it has not benefited them any way, shape, or form. And I think about 2017 America, and they're not going anywhere. And Donald Trump has preyed on their anger and their frustration and their bitterness and used it as a cocktail uh, to lobby against... uh, um, the minorities were the cause of the problems, right? But these people, I think, this swath of America, I do not think that they're inherently anti-Muslim. I do not think they're inherently anti-black. I do not think they're inherently anti-Latino. I think they're hurting. And I feel like instead of chuppling them, which is what I've been mm. doing, I think I should offer an olive branch. And I hope that if I extend an olive branch, that there's a hand to receive it. So I need to be better to reach out to this segment of America that is not going anywhere, and my peoples aren't going anywhere, and we have to find a better discourse to move forward. Jamila Lemieux, Vice President of News and Men's Programming for Interactive One, Wajahat Ali, attorney, playwright, 
comic, I'm going to add, and commentator, and Julio Ricardo Arela, political editor for the Futuro Media Group. Thank you so much for joining me on In the Thick. Thank you. Thank you for Thank having me. Thank you, Maria. I'm your host, Maria Hinojosa. And remember, go to iTunes to rate and review us because it really helps us to get new listeners. You can also follow us on Twitter at In the Thick Show. You can like us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. And of course, Tell your friends. Our producer is Noam Hassenfeld. Our theme music is Comencemos by Jungle Fire. Some of our music is composed by Noam, and the other music that you heard is courtesy of Nacional Records. We'll see you next time on In the Thick. Thanks for listening. Gracias. Ciao. 